Welcome to 15 Minutes to Wellness by the American Council on Exercise. I'm Dr. Michael Mantell, the ACE Senior Fitness Consultant for Behavioral Sciences and your host for this series. My goal today and for every podcast in our series is to discuss some small steps you can take to help you better your life and find happiness through optimal health. In each of these podcasts, I'll be interviewing a leading health and fitness expert, someone who's making a difference and who can make a difference in your life. I also want to welcome the hundreds of thousands of folks searching for positive ways to make fitness and nutrition a part of their daily, hectic, busy, tight, and budgeted lives. I'd like to welcome Dr. Richard Carmona. Dr. Carmona was the 17th Surgeon General of the United States, and it's something that uh, we're certainly interested in learning about. But Dr. Carmona's background and history is simply breathtaking and amazing, and I'd like to talk about that with you, Dr. Carmona. But first, thanks for being with us on 15 Minutes to Wellness. Oh, thanks so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate being with you. Your background, sir, is uh, just remarkable. You dropped out of high school. You enlisted in the military. You have two Purple Hearts. We're a combat-decorated Special Forces Vietnam vet. You earned your medical degree. You also served for 25 years with the Pima County Sheriff's Department. I used to be the chief psychologist of the San Diego Police Department, so we could certainly chat about that, having that in common, uh, being out on SWAT calls. But uh, you're also now the president of the Canyon Ranch Institute Board of Directors and vice chairman of Canyon Ranch. What an amazing background. So with all of that, with all of your education, experience, years of dedicated service to the United States of America, our healthcare system is in trouble, isn't it? Well, you're correct. It really is. And I, I guess I would first start out by saying it really isn't a healthcare system. It's a sick care system. We develop resources and infrastructure to take care of people when they become ill. And we do a pretty good job with our technology and our science base to make people well again. But uh, the challenge for us is to evoke sustainable behavioral change that results in better behavior that reduces disease and economic burden. And that's the challenge before us today. A good friend of mine, and I'm sure yours, Dr. Walter Bortz, has been a guest on 15 Minutes to Wellness, and he talks about the fact that we spend so much per capita on disease care, and yet we're still amongst a low number in terms of healthy nations, number of 35 or something like that. Yeah, we, uh, we were spending about uh, 18% of our gross domestic product on what we call health care. It's really sick care. And that's about $2.8 trillion a year. And as you're probably aware, about three quarters of that, or about 75 cents of every dollar, are spent treating chronic diseases. And what they have in common, most of them are preventable. So this disease burden continues to mount. The economic burden continues to mount. And yet most of it is being driven by poor behaviors, and or behaviors that you can't control because of your sociologic circumstances. But ultimately, it's led us to this obesity of epidemic and type 2 diabetes and accelerated cardiovascular disease, cancers. And of course, you know, uh, obesity is probably the most potent accelerator of chronic diseases in the history of mankind. 
Colin Milner was on with me last week, and he, of course, is the president of the International Council on Active Aging. And he pointed something out that in short period of time, depression is going to rank right up there with obesity, yet another, in a sense, preventable disorder. And so we have heart disease, uh, asthma, depression, diabetes, uh, obesity. I guess to cut through it all, what do we need to be doing differently? Obviously, exercise and helping people become educated and so forth. But at Canyon Ranch Institute, tell us some of the things that you're doing that are working. Well, most of, uh, I appreciate the question, first of all. And at Canyon Ranch Institute, what we do is take the content that is developed in Canyon Ranch over the past three decades, which is really best practices in pursuing optimal health and wellness. And because of the vision of the founders, Melanie and Zuckerman, we created this institute to take this content and deliver it to underserved communities. And we target some of the toughest communities in the country. We're in the South Bronx. We're in inner city Cleveland. We're along the border here with Native Americans and African Americans. We're in rural areas in Appalachia. And we, we target the most difficult populations with this content. And then we work with the community to develop appropriate programs that ultimately are about cultural competence and health literacy. Define health literacy for us. Sure. Well, health literacy is really the basis for all all of the programs we do. And health literacy simply is taking complex information that you and I know from our years of study and education and training and delivering it to the population that needs it, but delivering it in a manner that they understand. And they can utilize that information to make healthy decisions. So the equation for us is taking everything from epigenetics and genomics and nutrition science translating it in a culturally competent and health literate manner, delivering it to these very different, diverse populations in order to do one thing only, effect sustainable behavioral change. Walk a little more, eat a little less, wear a seatbelt, wear a helmet, don't smoke, don't engage in those high-risk activities. You and I know the list, but the, the real issue is we stumble quite a bit in the nation that has the best science in the world. Our stumbling block is delivering this in such a way that it is usable by the end user. And often, you know, those end users, like with the population we deal with, are health disparate. We've purposely picked them because we feel if we can effect sustainable behavioral change and measure those health metrics and improve it in the toughest populations, then we can do it any place. Well, a number of years ago, um, I read that the American Council on Exercise had a very bold and aggressive initiative to turn around the epidemic of obesity and they were going to do it with the muscle, exercise, and mouth nutrition. And I read this, and I thought they, they have a very wobbly tripod. They left out the mind, uh, the behavior change. And I called, and I talked about that, and that was a number of years ago. And here I am now as a senior consultant for behavior sciences to help fitness trainers, health coaches, and other people in our fitness world do exactly what you're talking about. The mantra at the Canyon Ranch Institute, I just love. It's called the power and possibility of a healthy world. That is just brilliant. It's all about behavior change, isn't it? It is. It is. It really is. I mean, as Surgeon General of the United States, you know, I had many years to work on this. And you come to the conclusion, finally, that we don't lack the science. And not that there shouldn't be more research and there are complex issues. But I used to tell people, I think the, the pipeline of science has gotten constipated because <laughs> somehow we've got to get this information downstream pretty quickly. 
okay? And we have to release it to get it to the people. So the challenge for me was just that. And that's really where I came upon these ideas with my team was that, you know, how do we take all of this complex stuff and get it to the people who need it in a usable form that they really understand it? I mean, how many people really understand epigenetics or genomics? But on the other hand, it's up to us to translate so they understand that everything they do is an epigenetic input to their genome. And that turns those genes on or off and makes you more susceptible or less susceptible to disease. So when people start to understand that, really their genes are just their software. It's how their body is programmed. And they can rewrite code for those genes by doing exercise, by eating healthy, by de-stressing, okay, the environment you live in. All of those are those epigenetic inputs. So we teach that here, and it's really been very successful. We run all our programs academically. We publish. The Canyon Ranch Institute has 11 abstracts this year at the American Public Health Association. So uh, all of our partnerships are done very academically and with prospective determinants of endpoints. And we publish and measure because we want to ensure that we're affecting sustainable behavioral changes in communities. So what is it that we are incentivizing that's wrong? I'm thinking about just people in general, and they know having three or four slices of pizza for dinner uh, or worse for breakfast. They know because they've read every magazine, they've heard all the news shows, they've seen all the blogs, they know they shouldn't do it. And yet they have an attitude that says, eh, what am I going to do? So what? Well, there, there are, there are, you're, you're correct. There are the people that are disengaged. And, and the challenge, of course, is it's the invincibility of the 18-year-old who engages in every high-risk activity because they think that it's not going to be them who succumbs. It's the 25-year-old who eats indiscriminately or smokes or engages in high-risk behaviors because you're not thinking at that age of life, you're not thinking of the consequences later on, that every one of these decisions you make today will have some outcome, although maybe not appreciated today, but in 20 years, when you have your first heart attack or your arteries start getting clogged or you have ischemia and you're getting claudication and your legs aren't working when you want to walk and run, you're actually building your future every single day with the decisions you make. It's up to us to figure out how to present that information in an understandable and usable fashion to effect that sustainable behavioral change. Now, there's all kinds of problems. I mean, from the very top level, you know, tobacco is the number one leading cause of death and, and morbidity in our country. Yet we continue to subsidize tobacco. That doesn't make sense that tax dollars are going to help tobacco farmers. Okay, it's be much cheaper to educate them to grow different crops that are good for people. We have a farm bill that is not the sole contributor, but certainly some of the incentives in the farm bill cause us to grow stuff that isn't healthy, that is used in corn fructose uh, for longer shelf life on foods. So you and I know that there's no single answer here. There are multiple variables that have to be addressed in order to eradicate this. And the federal government needs to help, state government, local government, but most importantly, people need to become engaged and start to take some responsibility for their own health. And the challenge, of course, is when you're very poor, don't have access to care, you're a single mom with kids in an urban city where you have a so-called food desert, how do we help those folks who want to really get better? And that's some of the challenges we've taken on with the Canyon Ranch Institute. So the American Council of Exercise prides itself on our certified personal trainers, health coaches, allied health professionals that work with us, group exercise instructors. Press the magic button for us. 
What would you like to see ACE be more involved in? What do you think fitness trainers and health coaches can be doing more of or should be doing more of? Terrific. I appreciate the question. I think what we need to undergo here, you know, everybody's focusing on a variable. Let's get them exercising. Let's get them healthier food. Make sure you wear a seatbelt, whatever, whatever the group is. The real issue here when you drop back and look at it from a 50,000-foot level like a Surgeon General would, okay, having the biggest practice in the world, three, over 300 million people as Surgeon General of the United States, what we need to do is effect a cultural revolution, if you will. This really is a change of culture for our nation. And I say culture because when I came to this conclusion years ago, I had enough science. I had lots of smart people that were around me that did wonderful things. But the challenge was changing the culture, getting to each and every person that they understand. And I often used to joke with my staff that the one degree I needed to be more effective as Surgeon General was that of an anthropologist, because ultimately it all came down to culture and understanding how Hispanics and Native Americans and Indian Americans and Jews and Christians and Muslims all see the world differently, yet we're such a heterogeneous nation that there is no one size that's going to fit all. You have to accommodate all of those belief systems. So I think to your question, as far as the American Council on Exercise, if if they could become a distribution network for this kind of change that's needed, to be able to focus on health literacy and cultural competence, to put out simply easily understandable messages that result in sustainable behavioral change and message it. And certainly with your network nationally, when I talk to fitness folks too, I say it's not just about fitness. You all need to be public health practitioners too. And I tell the public health practitioners, you need to be exercise practitioners as well, because we all have the shared responsibility. None of us has all of the answers. So as Surgeon General, I was always looking for distribution networks like the American Council on Exercise, okay, or family physicians or nurse practitioners. And who, who has an organization in place that is trying to make America healthier? And how can I give them more content to be able to start changing the culture in America so that people will make healthier decisions? And they understand that every decision they make ultimately is going to have impact on their overall health throughout life. Wow. I hope that all of our trainers and health coaches are listening. I, I, and I believe that the American Council on Exercise is really at the forefront of understanding and executing, implementing exactly what you're talking about, particularly the health coach model that we have, helping build sustainable programs throughout not just the United States, but globally as well. And I think when you look at the passion of people in our industry, in our field, health and fitness, the passion that we have is infectious. And what we have to do is figure out how to to bring it back down to the playgrounds and the school classrooms and the food that they're feeding children and, and whatnot. I want to talk of just a moment or two about what it's like to be a United States Surgeon General. You said beautifully that you had the biggest practice in the world, <laughs> 300 million patients. You worked with President George W. Bush yes. and his wife and family. Yes. President Bush was probably one of the most physically active yeah. uh, and fitness-oriented people. We heard that from our mutual friend, Ted Vicky. Uh-huh. The Surgeon General impact. Can you have the kind of impact that you'd like to have? The new Surgeon General coming in is going to be delivering a message Can you have the impact that you'd like to have? Well, I think you can. But first of all, the the job description is pretty simple for the Surgeon General. 
It's to protect, promote, and advance the health, safety, and security of the United States. And that sounds very simple on paper. But when you try and execute on that value proposition in a very divided House and Senate, a uh, very partisan environment, often, you know, you're, you're taking uh, incoming, as we say, in the military. And yet the Surgeon General's job is not to be the doctor of the Republican or the Democratic Party. The Surgeon General is, has a more important job, to be the doctor of the people and speak truth to power and bring science to power and let the politicians decide. But that often is the most complex thing. And to do the job well, you really need a senior person who understands, who has been in, in that arena where they've been tested in leadership at a junior level, at a mid-level, at a senior level, that they have a robust Rolodex that they can call on of people that they've worked with throughout their life and speak to other professors, speak to scientists, and have credibility that's been earned over decades, because that's the imprimatur of the Surgeon General, that you've paid your dues to get there. You've earned the right to be called Surgeon General, that you have accumulated knowledge and experience that's been tested in the public forum, and you've succeeded. And the public look at you and say, I trust that person. Because the Surgeon General of the United States, by many polls, is the most trusted person in the federal government, because they're never seen as partisan. They really are the doctor of the nation. And to have that imprimatur, it just can't be conferred on you. You can't give it to anybody. It has to be earned. And of course, you are the commander of the U.S. Public Health Service, and it comes with the rank of an admiral. And so the rank of admiral is earned as well. I mean, if you give somebody a rank of admiral and they really haven't earned it, are the other admirals and generals in the community going to respect you? Right. And are they going to respect you if you come in and haven't gone through what they've gone through to be deemed a leader for our government? But that's really the power of that position, that you've earned the right to be called Surgeon General and the imprimatur that comes with it. And that is what allows you to have really huge effect on society. When my team and I wrote the report on secondhand smoke, that had rippling effects, not only in the United States, but the world. That single report created smoke-free environments. So when you look epidemiologically, the effect that that's going to have on, on global health, it's huge. But why did the EU... Why did the Middle East make those changes? Because they believe in the Surgeon General. They believe in the Surgeon General and the position of the Surgeon General because it's always been unbiased. It's always been about the health and safety and security of the people and not about politics. And so all of us are very protective of the position of Surgeon General just for that reason, because we recognize that in the history of the Surgeon General's office, there's never been a scandal. There's never been you know, anything that would tarnish the office because we understand that the people own this office. We get the privilege to serve for four years and then we go home and we work very hard to utilize that office to effect positive change in the health, safety and security of the nation. That's the power of the office of the Surgeon General. Dr. Kamoni, you have earned the title of leader in every step of your career from your early training and in the medical system, law enforcement, surgeon general, and now leading the charge for the power and possibility of a healthy world at the Canyon Ranch Institute as its president of uh, the board of directors, you certainly have earned the title of leader. And I know that many of our people listening would love to hear more and more from you. Uh, our job is to uh, help them no longer be sedentary, to eat the right foods, give up deadly smoking, stop involving yourself in all these high-risk activities that you get involved in, and uh, live a healthy, happy life. I want to thank you for taking some time from your remarkably busy schedule and joining us today and uh, contributing to uh, the 15, or in this case, 20 minutes of wellness 
Uh, thank you so much, sir. It's my privilege and pleasure, and thank you so much for all the work you guys do at the American Council on Exercise, and give me a call if I can uh, help you at any time. Thank you, sir. It's an honor to have spoken with you. Be well. I'd like to thank all of you listeners who've joined us today. And as always, I encourage you all to subscribe to the podcast and continue your journey to health and fitness by visiting acefit.com, where you'll find everything you need to live your most fit and healthy life. You can explore literally thousands of healthy recipes, health and fitness videos and articles, workout plans, health programs, and creative ways you can get yourself and your family moving, and really expert insight on a wide range of topics. So join me next time on 15 Minutes to Wellness, which you can find at acefit.com slash fitcasts. I'm Dr. Michael Mantell, thanking you for being with us on 15 Minutes to Wellness. Wellness.